Now, Willie said, I've been a Christian 28 years, so some of y'all, y'all probably wasn't even born when I became a Christian. And I used to make fun of people who've been around that long when I first became a Christian. Man, those are old dinosaurs. Now, I'm one of the dinosaurs. Uh, but just be careful. Don't make fun of us. One day you're going to be like us. But it's good to be here. Uh, like Willie said, I was converted here uh, by playing football here. Uh, I was running back in the University of Kansas. And I uh, studied the Bible with Sean Wooten, studied the Bible with me. And uh, I remember I was baptized on a Sunday. And we had a Bible talk up in the towers on a Tuesday. And uh, Sean and I had so many people. We couldn't fit in the dorm room. There were people down the hallways. So our campus leader said, you guys are now Bible talk leaders. So two days after being baptized, I became a Bible talk leader. I took half the group, and we just started having a Bible talk. I didn't know what I was doing. I just shared my quiet time, and it was great. <laughs> and uh, that's how it works. Five months after that, they asked me to go into the ministry. So I went into the full-time ministry five months after becoming a Christian. And so I've been in a, a full-time ministry for almost 28 years. A uh, long time. But it's great because I got able to be married to an incredible, beautiful woman. Uh, when I was first baptized, I was like, man, I want to marry a white lady, a black lady, a French lady. I just want to marry all this. And so God, God put it all together and shook it up a little bit and gave me a Creole woman that I know I'm married who has all of those characteristics. Uh, and then, uh, so we have two beautiful daughters, Lily, who's right here with us there for a minute. We'll a quick shout out for her. She is uh, fluent in French, and she also speaks Spanish. And uh, she, you know, went to high school, did a great job in high school, gets to college, and uh, converts a girl on the track team. And then the girl says, hey, come run. So she goes out there and runs with this girl and just blows her away. Track coach runs over. We want you on our track team. So now she runs track for the college that she's at. Never ran in high school. Get to college, and now she runs. And <laughs> you saved me a lot of money. You got a scholarship. And then I have Gracie somewhere for all her friends back there. Another one. Uh, stand up for a minute, because if not, I'm going to be She's something else. I can't <laughs> But uh, yeah, we've been married 22 years. Um, good, good little time. We were converted in Kansas. I was converted here. She was converted in New Orleans. Uh, no, in New York, I'm sorry. Where we live, in New York. But we met in Texas, because I used to be a teen leader in Texas for like 13 years. Teens and campus. And uh, I do remember Willie. I remember, do you remember we used to go to Jason Garrett's football camp? And I remember down there watching Willie out there and all these different players. We kind of got like a lot of football sports in my family. Uh, my oldest brother played at OU, and my next oldest brother played at Iowa. Then he went and played at the New York Giants. And uh, uh, my roommate in college was Tony Sands, so we went and stayed with Michael Irving. Some of y'all are like, who are all these guys? Uh, so we went and stayed with him. And uh, Lauren's one of her best friends, is married to Tony Dorsett, so we would go stay at Tony Dorsett's house. And, it's kind of crazy. All these different sports cowboys. figures come up. Uh, yes, cowboys. <laughs> but all that happened from just a guy who was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, you just think, man, what good comes from Nebraska? 
That's in the New Testament, Colossians. Making sure y'all know. I know finals is coming, so you may be brain dead or something, so I'm just going to help you out. Colossians 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The Bible says that through Jesus, the image of the invisible God, all things were created. <laughs> things in heaven and earth, power, throne, everything was created by Jesus for Jesus. Now the interesting part of this is that while on earth, Jesus literally borrowed everything he had. He borrowed a place to be born. He borrowed a house to sleep in. He borrowed a boat to preach out of. He borrowed an animal to ride into Jerusalem on. He borrowed a room to meet privately for the Last Supper. He even borrowed a tomb to be laid in. Even though everything was created for him and by him, he still borrowed everything he had on earth. That's the amazing part about Jesus and his life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to do a lot of Bible turning today, so that's what you do when you go to a Bible-based church. You use the Bible. 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. You realize Jesus was with God, the place we all want to be. No crying, no tears, no pain, no suffering, no finals, no paying for gas. He had everything. But yet, he was willing to give it all up, all those riches, to become poor. It's like if you had enough money to build your own castle, and you built the castle furnished it, had servants and everything, and then when time to move in, you say, you know what? I just want to work here. I don't even want to own this anymore. I'm going to be one of the servants. This is what Jesus said. He had everything, but yet he said, instead of living like that, I am going to become poor so that you can become rich. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus didn't even own the cross that he died on. He had to borrow the cross that he died on. Now think about it. Who did Jesus borrow the cross from when he died? I know you're in finals. You don't want to answer any questions. <laughs> Barabbas. It wasn't even his cross that he bore. He bore the cross of Barabbas. And this is what I want to help us to understand and talk about. Barabbas. He is one of the most infamous men in history. When you read the Bible, you will find out about Barabbas and how evil and how mean and corrupt he was. He is so bad, nobody, I don't know anybody that ever in our time names their kids Barabbas. <laughs> you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New York, Jesus, everywhere. We got all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but nobody names their kid Barabbas. And you think about it, but there's something about Barabbas that's key to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about Barabbas. So there's something that is so important about Barabbas that we got to understand this. And this is what I want us to look at. Matthew chapter 27. I want to read the story that we're going to focus on today. Matthew 27, verse 11. 
And then after that, we're going to break the story down. Matthew chapter 27. In verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What should I do there with... Jesus, who was called Christ, Pilate asked. They all asked her, crucify Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged, and handed him over to be crucified. This is part of the study that we look at, the cross. And this is an amazing, impacting part. Again, look in verse 16. It says, At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. He is described as notorious. People don't even use that word unless they're talking about Biggie Smalls now. <laughs> it says he was notorious. He was known by everybody for how wicked of a man he was. Look in John chapter 18. John 18, verse 40. Again, this is still an account of what happened with Pilate. It says, they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Barabbas was the kind of guy, he helped a rebellion to start against the city, against the government. They went out, they stole things, they looted, they did all these different kind of crimes. And so he was known for that, but that wasn't even the worst part. Look at Luke 23, verse 19. Luke 23, verse 19. We'll start in verse 18. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. This guy was a revolutionary, a thief, a murderer. He was convicted, he was found guilty, and they had him sitting in prison waiting to die. Now anybody who knew this guy knew what evil person he was. He was the kind of person you want to uh, bring home. 
I definitely wouldn't want my daughter bringing this guy home. You wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. You wouldn't even want him to be your friend because, you know, bad company corrupts good character. You have to be careful. You wouldn't even want to be around him or even have him loose in your city. This is how evil and, and sinful this guy was. So you're saying, well, well what, what? I don't understand the story then. Well, this is where Pilate comes into play. Because, see, Pontius Pilate, uh, he was the governor at this time. And he was in charge of Judea, the whole area where they were at. And his job was to keep Roman peace in this area. Pilate didn't like the Jewish people. The Jewish people didn't like Pilate. So what did Pilate do? Everything you would do with somebody that doesn't like you. He tried to annoy them. He tried to make them angry. He did all kinds of things. He even took their money that they had for a temple just to build a waterway for people. He went in there and he started executing Jews time and time again for no reason, just because he felt like it. One time the Jewish people were offering sacrifices at the temple. Let me show you. Look over in the book of Luke, chapter 13. All right. Come on, Rick. Luke 13, verse 1. It says, now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus asked her, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other uh, Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. These people were sacrificing animals, uh, worshiping their gods. Pilate comes in and just kills all of them, and then those he killed, their blood mixed in with the blood of the sacrifices they were having which was even more of a disgrace. All the Jewish people in the area knew what Pilate did, and they all hated Pilate for it. Now, you can't do things like this and not get a reputation. So now Pilate has his reputation, and it gets all the way back to Rome. And now Caesar is upset, and now Pilate's job is on the line. So Pilate's just a little shaky here. Now Jesus comes to town. Pilate, he had nothing against Jesus, because Jesus didn't do anything to offend Pilate, so Pilate left Jesus alone, Jesus left Pilate alone. They were cool. <laughs> but the Sanhedrin, the religious Jewish leaders, they hated Jesus. Because every time Jesus preached, he preached on the things that they did wrong. He preached and talked about them. So they were so angry that they said, he must die. They knew he had to die. Because he was now disturbing them, their power, their money, their influence. They had to get rid of Jesus. But the only problem was they could not execute Jesus. Only the Roman governor could. So they took Jesus before Pilate. Look at Luke chapter 23. Okay. All, right. All right, come on. You stand with me here? Yeah. Okay. Kind of give you the whole big picture of what's going on. The Jewish leaders arrested Jesus and they brought him to the governor and they started accusing him of things. Look in uh, chapter 23 in verse 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. Now Pilate knew what was going on. Even though they brought a man, they accused Jesus of all these things, Pilate was not a stupid guy. He knew what was going on behind the scenes. Look over at Matthew 27. You're like, man, I haven't turned the Bible this much in a week. <laughs> Matthew 27, verse 18. 
After they brought Jesus to him, they started accusing him of things. Look at what Pilate says in verse 18. For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate knew. He said, hey, this really isn't about Jesus doing all these crimes you guys are saying. You guys just don't like this man because he's messing up your living. And they, he knew it was out of envy that they had did this. So Pilate had a big problem on his hand now. Because now they're trying to get him to kill Jesus. And if he didn't handle the situation right, those religious leaders would give word back to Caesar about Pilate. Then Pilate would lose his job. He'd have to be out in the streets. He'd already abused people, so then he would end up getting abused. So he had this situation on his hands. Okay, if I listen to the people here, because they're now starting to shout, crucify him, crucify him. Now I'm going to kill this guy who did nothing wrong. But if I don't do that, they're going to tell Caesar, and then I may not just lose my job, but I may have myself killed. So what do I do? And then all of a sudden, this bright idea comes in mind. Look at Matthew 27. Verse 15. Pilate has the best idea he's ever had in his life. Now again, verse 15. Now is the governor's, Matthew 27, 15. Now is the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. So Pilate says, you know what? Here's Jesus who did nothing wrong. It's my custom. I can release somebody. So let me get the most evil, murderous, criminal, one that everybody hates. Let me find out the one person that everybody in this whole city would want to kill. Barabbas. So if I bring Barabbas out and have them compare the two, surely everybody's going to want Barabbas to get killed. Because he's guilty. He murdered people. He started a rebellion. He killed some of their family members. Surely they're going to want this guy to die. So in his mind, this is the best idea in the world. So he brings out Barabbas. And there stands before the crowd, Barabbas and Jesus. A murderer, rebellion, uh, started all kind of crime, a thief. And then there's Jesus. He did nothing but heal people's kids, raise people from the dead, fed thousands and thousands of people. He thought, surely this is an easy choice for people. Barabbas or Jesus. Surely they're going to say, let Jesus go and let's kill Barabbas. <laughs> but look at what happens in Mark chapter 15. Is it game time, Willie? No, you're good. Okay. Mark 15, verse 11. It says, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. The people really didn't even want to release Barabbas. But those religious leaders that hated Jesus so much stirred up the crowd. Come on, guys. Come on. We can do this. Come on. Lie. Come on. Get in there. Get in. He stirred up the crowd. So they would then release Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Now you look at this. All this being said, Jesus went through all that he went through. And now they release Barabbas. And there's Jesus waiting to be crucified. You got to ask yourself, is this a, a, a coincidence? Or did God really mean for Barabbas to be executed? I mean, what do you think? you think it was an accident that it was Barabbas, or you think there was a reason for Barabbas being the one? This is a question. I'll answer it. <laughs> it wasn't a coincidence. Barabbas was the person God wanted there at that time for a reason. You say, well, well what could that be? Well, think about this. Barabbas, we just read all this. He is in every gospel. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We talk about the woman with the copper coin, and we talk about her sacrifice. That's only in two of the Gospels. We talk about Lazarus being raised from the dead. That's only in one of the Gospels. It was something about Barabbas that God put it in every single Gospel to prove a point that he is central to the Gospels. And that no matter what book you have, you will know who Barabbas is and understand he is important for a specific reason. I want to tell you what the reason is. First of all, this. Know that Jesus was the Son of God. You say, well, I understand that. Okay? Look in John chapter 10. Several times throughout his ministry, Jesus referred to God as his Father. And in John chapter 10, verse 25... It's like an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. I'm giving you all the clues. We're about to bring in the big rock. To hold <laughs> John 10, verse 25. Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life that they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus angered the Jews because he claimed that Jesus was his Father. Look at how they responded in verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. Which of these do you want to stone me for? Mm. At that point, they were upset. They didn't know what to do. They just said, let's just stone him and kill him. Now, why would they want to stone Jesus because of this? Well, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying by calling God his Father. Jesus was declaring that he was the Son of God. Literally, he was saying, the Son of the Father. That's who he is. He is the Son of of the Father. Now, later in uh, Mark chapter 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, look over there, Mark 14, 35. While he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 35, it says, Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus calls him Abba, which is a term of endearment. A child will call their father Abba. So you got to remember that. That's important. So again, Whose cross did he borrow? Barabbas. That's something we'd all say together. Whose cross did he borrow? Barabbas. Okay, at least made me feel good. <laughs> now, Barabbas' name is interesting. It's made up of two Jewish words. Bar, meaning son. Abbas, meaning father. Barabbas literally means a son of the father. Jesus is the son of the father. Barabbas is a son of the Father. Of all the criminals that Jesus replaced on the cross, he replaced somebody whose name literally means a son of the Father. Mm -hmm. 
When you think about that for a moment, a son of the father. Now, now, why would he do that? Because that drives the point of the gospel home even more. Yeah. Barabbas deserved to die, but Jesus took his place. Mm-hmm. A son of the father, he took his place. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Romans 5, verse 7. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everybody knew Barabbas was evil. Everybody knew he was wicked. Everybody knew he was a sinner. And that's the whole gospel message wrapped up in the name of one man, Barabbas, a son of the Father. Now, you are a son of the Father. You are a daughter of the Father. I'm a son of the Father. In other words, Jesus replaced Barabbas so that Barabbas can be released and saved. We, all ourselves, each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's right. But Justice Smith talked about earlier, yet we have a gift. We're able to be given the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. A son of the Father died on the cross. Who could that be? You can pick a son of the Father in here that he replaced. You can pick a daughter of the Father to be replaced. You know, Billy Joel once said, years back, <laughs> My bad, I should have picked somebody else. Cardi B, you once said. <laughs> Billy Joel said, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I used to go to Mass with my friends, and I viewed the whole business a lot of very enthralling hocus pocus. There's a guy nailed to a cross, dripping blood, and everyone's blaming themselves for that man's torment. But I myself forget it. I had no hand in that evil. I had no original sin. There's no blood or any sacred martyr on my hands. I pass it on like this. You know, that's the mindset of many people that are lost. They just want to pass it on. I wasn't born then. That wasn't me. So they don't even take responsibility. Listen, if you don't take responsibility and realize you were Barabbas, evil, wicked, sinful, then you can get to say, there's nothing Jesus can do for you. Until you accept responsibility that you are a wicked person, how can Jesus help you? He can't help you. And this is why it's so important to study the Bible and help other people study the Bible because no one can ever embrace Jesus unless they first embrace themselves and see where they are. That's what is so compelling about Jesus dying on the cross. He says, listen, you got all these different accolades we could have, but the only thing that really matters is being right with God. I tell people at the Baron Fire Department, I've seen some crazy, wicked things. But I'm going to tell you this, stop, drop, and roll does not work in hell. That's an everlasting fire that never quenches. And sometimes we don't take it seriously until we're hit by a semi-truck. The point is, you got to understand, right now, today, God may call any of us home. And it's important that we realize, you know what? Jesus replaced me on that cross. He replaced Barabbas, literally, but yet 
He was a son of the father. I am a son, a daughter of the father. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 before we close out. Ephesians 2 verse 4. in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. You know, one of the, the, the biggest impacting things that I saw when it comes to grace was uh, one of the first guys that studied the Bible with here uh, was another football player. And uh, he was a running back, but he, he was, I was first string, he was second string. And I thought, this guy is so good. One day he may try to take my position. We just can't have that. <laughs> and so uh, I actually talked to some of the defensive players and I set them up to get hurt. And so he was running the ball and they held him up and they hit him and they popped him and his kneecap went around to the side. And uh, so this is before I was a Christian. And so uh, <laughs> this happened to him. So he was pretty much out. And so later on I became a Christian and he was the first guy that I reached out to. Wow. And I reached out and we're studying the Bible. And we get to talking about different sins and different things. And I said, you know, I just got to tell you something. I said, when you got hurt, that was really my fault. I was behind that, and I was a part of setting that up for you. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, I'm bracing myself, because I'm like, he's going to jump across this table, and we're going to be scrapping in this, in this hall. It's going to happen. I see it coming right now. I just got to prepare myself. Which angle am I going to take? <laughs> and I told him that, and he looked at me, and he said, I forgive you. Wow. said, so you're trying to help me know God, and that's all that matters, so I forgive you. And I was just like, okay. I didn't even know how to respond. I was just got froze for a minute. But I thought, you know what? That's what it's about. The most important thing is us having a relationship with God. Yeah. It's not about blaming everybody in our past. It's not about blaming our family. You know what? Your family, they didn't have Google back in your parents' day. They couldn't Google how to raise a kid. It was rough. <laughs> but a lot of times we want to blame a lot of different people and blame this and blame that. You know what? It's about you and God right now being what you need to be. Because Jesus has already replaced you on the cross just as he replaced Barabbas. You know, according to theologians and legend, after Barabbas was released, and Jesus took his place. He went back to doing what he'd always done before, being a criminal. He went back to stealing and killing. But after a while, he was captured again. 
This time he was placed in exile on a prison island. And the prisoners could be identified by wearing an earring uh, that mar had the mark of Caesar, because they were now property of Caesar. Now, by this time, Christianity has spread across the Roman world, and many of the prisoners on that island were Christians. And Barabbas worked side by side with these Christians, and began to learn how this Jesus, who literally died in his place on the cross, lived his life. And the message shook him so much that he himself eventually gave his life to Christ. Wow. To demonstrate his chains, he scratched off the emblem of Caesar on his earring and replaced it with something else. He replaced it with a cross. Mm -hmm. The symbol declaring that he now belonged to Jesus and not Caesar anymore. You know, that's the impact that the cross can make in anybody's life. The impact can change you from being one person to becoming somebody different. This is what stops abuse, alcoholism, prejudice, all those things. The only thing that can stop it is the Bible. And that's why it's so important for us to get the Bible out. Because if we're going to make a change in the world, we got to make the change through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a poem that was written. It said, the thorns on his head were worn in my stead. For me, the Savior died. For guilt of my sin, the nails drove in when they crucified. And though the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own, they rightly were mine. Jesus borrowed your cross to die on. He died for you. He died for me. Why? So that we might live and bring glory to him. Think about it. God watched his son die and go through all that and had the power to stop it. But yet, all God wanted was, I lost my son on earth. I want you now to replace him on earth and live as close to his life as you possibly can. That's what this world needs. A bunch of Jesuses, a bunch of Barabbases realizing my life was saved through Jesus Christ. You know, when you look around here, you need to be grateful. Because when I was in college, after one semester, our campus ministry went from 17 to 60-something. Mike Skills was there. I mean, huge. In one semester, then everybody moved. People moved to, like, I'm talking about not just next door. They moved to Russia. They moved to uh, Fort Ohio. They moved. I don't know where they went to. They all knew. <laughs> and sometimes I think, what would our campus ministry have been like if we got to stay there for one year? I mean, if it grew by 50 in one semester, what would have happened if we all stayed there in a year? You guys don't have no idea where your friends are going to be, those that are here right now. They may be in Africa, Europe, Asia. Who knows where? We need to take this time right now and appreciate the people that are in your life. Because you never know where they're going to go and what impact they're going to make in another place. I appreciate Willie. He's been a faithful Christian for a long time. I know he looks young, but he's an old man inside of us. <laughs> he still plays with little toys. And <laughs> old man with a childlike heart. But I want to say this. No matter how old you are, the most important thing is that we give our life to Christ. Don't let anybody turn you away. I'm telling you, I had a lot of challenges on the football team. I had a lot of challenges outside. I dated a girl whose family was in the mafia. And they gave me a choice, either to sell, uh, do some things in Kansas City that wasn't legal, or leave the country. Because she was a white girl. And they didn't want us together. You know what? I made a decision. i got to commit myself to Christ. Mm -hmm. And the important thing is I am right with Jesus. Mm 
And you know what? That decision could have cost me my life. But I said, you know what? I'm still going to be faithful and stay here and do what I need to do for Christ. Guys, I'm telling you, don't let a relationship, family, nothing stand between you and Jesus. Don't let an attitude stand between you and the unity of the group. That is so important. I say this, and I bring you greetings all the way from New York. It's great to see y'all. For the first time, well, about the first month that I was preaching in New York, uh, we have a gymnasium. And uh, the kids are in there playing basketball, college kids and stuff, and they weren't acting very righteous. So I got up on Sunday and I said, you know what, we're not playing basketball anymore until you learn how to act right. So the gym is closed. And somebody picked up a marble and threw it at me from the stands out there. <laughs> and it hit the podium, bing, and bounced off, almost hit me. And I thought for a minute, I'm going to leave the Lord and go deal with him. I didn't do that, but I thought about it. <laughs> Point being, there's going to be people that try to throw you off course. Yeah. Try to distract you. Don't let anybody turn you away. Why? Because what Jesus did was more valuable than anybody else can do for you. Yeah. Hope I encouraged you. Hope I inspired you. We love you. It's a God be you.